Welcome to Questions That Matter. This is a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I have the great joy and privilege of being your host. My name is Randy Newman, and my conversation partner today is uh, a good friend, Jared Kennedy. Jared is with the Gospel Coalition. He's written a number of books about children's ministry, and we're going to be diving into the question about how, how do we do children's ministry? What does discipleship of children look like? Jared, welcome to Questions That Matter. Randy, it's a joy to be with you today. So let me tell our listeners a little bit more. You've written a book called uh, uh, Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission. You've also written a book called The Beginner's Gospel Story Bible. Um, you have a few other publications. You've written a number of articles on the Gospel Coalition. Um, but help our listeners know, how, how did this come about? How did you get into children's ministry as the calling uh, on your life? Yeah, absolutely. I really stumbled in it, into it in a lot of ways. I, um, uh, my wife, Megan, and I both studied biblical languages in seminary. And so we were uh, Greek and Hebrew students primarily. And you don't take a lot of Christian ed classes when you're you're working through uh, all, all of the language work. Our hope was to um, move to Eastern Europe and uh, be Bible translators among uh, the Roma people, the Gypsy people and mm. in, in Eastern Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, when our second child, uh, Lucy came along, came along, we were um, both in seminary at the time. And um, and she was early, early on around age two diagnosed with, uh, severe autism, level three autism. Um, and at that time, the mission boards we were talking to, um, it, especially the ones working with translation work, uh, encouraged kids with special needs, uh, to be in, to be in boarding schools. And it wasn't something that, uh, just by conviction that Megan and I were, were very comfortable with at the time. And so, um, so yeah, it sent us into sort of a soul searching time. Um, we're both still in school. We're uh, just serving at our local church. And I had helped plan a vacation Bible school in the past. And so my pastors asked if I would sit on a committee um, that would help pick out new curriculum for our children's ministry and pick out some furniture for a, a new uh building that the church was moving into. Um, and that, that committee role grew into a, a 10 hour a week staff position grew into a, a full-time staff position. And then, uh, and almost, uh, yeah, 13 years worth of, of full-time, uh, pastoral work in children's mm. ministry area. And so I fell into it really, and just fell in love with, um, you know, there's, there's parallels with, uh, with working with kids. I won't make a joke about them being little pygmies, but, um, but, Good. but in, Good. <laughs> but in, um, yeah, there's, a, you know, you're translating big troops, um, down into a, a language and, uh, developmental area where kids can understand that. And so, um, you know, I just fell in love with, uh, spending time with them and translating those tr truths down in a way that they could understand them. Um, 
which then led me into writing and eventually into editorial work, uh, which is a little closer to to Bible translation work as the next stage. But that was where that passion uh, began to develop was uh, caring for my own children and then um, seeing uh, just that kids ministry is a mission field and that it involves taking the big truths of the gospel and translating them in a way that uh, the youngest uh, within the church can understand. Mm. Well, boy, now now there's several different directions I want to go. I'm trying to decide. We definitely will explore. I, I want to explore about, all right, so what are the unique, I don't know, dynamics of discipling children? But but let's talk a little bit about autism, because I'm sure this has been quite an education for you. Um, Lucy is how old now? She's 16. 16. And so... Uh, I don't even know how to formulate the questions. Uh, what has, what have you learned? And I don't, I don't mean about autism because uh, uh, that could be another discussion. But um, what, what, what have you learned about your own walk with the Lord and uh, and your daughter's uh, discipleship with the challenges of autism? I don't is. Is that question close enough to helpful? I, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. I, I think, um, um, yeah, I think in American culture, we, we, you know, celebrate individual autonomy and ability and kind of be all that you can be kind of culture, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. growing up um, in the 90s. And I... Uh, Lucy has really taught me um, that the Lord oftentimes um, puts limits on our lives and, and, and puts limits on our capacity to do certain things or our family's capacity to handle certain things. And that those, um, those limits that we look at as weaknesses often are, are real gifts from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think even of second Corinthians and, um uh the thorn in the flesh that that Paul had and his his request that the Lord removed that from him three times. Um and the Lord's promise to him that um my strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm. And I, I think um I think I've seen that a lot that um uh, being a dad to Lucy has taught me a lot about prayer and mm. oftentimes I don't know what's going on inside her head or or we don't know the best strategy for handling, whether it be a discipline question or a development question or a, a mm. discipleship question. Um, and oftentimes we're just asking, you know, for wisdom and insight um, yeah. Yeah. on our knees together. And, yeah. um, and the Lord gives grace through his people and, you know, through helpers and um, through maybe just a husband wife conversation. And, um, but he's taught me a lot about depending on his weakness. Um, yeah, there's this there's this great little book by um, Andrew and Rachel Wilson called um, "The Life We Never Expected." Um, and Andrew and Rachel have two sons, twin boys that have regressive autism. Um, and um, you know, Andrew just talks about the gifts they are to the church mm, too. Mm, yeah. um, that 
you know, they in their unique personalities and the unique ways they love people, and they they genuinely have gifts they can use in the church. But even in their weaknesses, that um, and their inabilities, their disabilities, they draw out a compassion from God's people um, yeah. oh, that nice. potentially nice. wouldn't be there if they weren't present. And yeah. and so I I think um, yeah I've that book was really helpful for me in seeing not only um, is the Lord going to teach me things through Lucy, but it's going to teach our church community things through her as well. Um, And, um, and yeah, I hope, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. That's that's so helpful. That's beautiful. Does that get at it? Um, So uh, uh, Andrew Wilson's book is fairly new, right? Isn't that a very recent book? It, it might be 10 years old now. Oh, oh yeah, I'm totally wrong on that. Okay, great. Well, I saw um, an excerpt from it recently, so I thought it was new, but oh, that that's that's really okay. good. Um, you know, I'm reminded of Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, and uh, yeah. they have they have a daughter. I, I think it may be autism. I can't remember, but, but he yeah. says in the introduction, um, uh, people think I, I pray so much because I'm so spiritual. No, it's because I'm so needy and <laughs> Just the right. need for wisdom at every single moment of, of okay, how do we handle this situation? Um, and, you know, the, the, uh, the evangelist in me wants to say, what uh, I think this is a great opportunity for the church because we see those children, um, we don't see it as a disability. We see that th- this is sovereignly chosen by God, and there are lessons mm-hmm. that we can only learn by interacting with these people. Whereas mm-hmm. I, I wonder if parents of children with autism and other uh, challenges, that may be very difficult for them to find a resource where people consider their children a gift. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, So again, our biblical perspective about God's sovereignty and about people being created in the image of God uh, can shape ministry. Um, well, maybe we'll have you back about that whole topic. There are, I'm going to leave that at this point. I want to dig in more about your work about children. Here's something you wrote in an article that I just, I, I, I thought, and I want to explore this. You talk about um, three ways family discipleship changes as kids grow. Hmm. We, we certainly know that as parenting, just basic, basic, parenting changes but how does discipleship change you you um, you begin the article like this way um when your kids were toddlers you established a regular family worship routine each night before bed you'd gather your kids in the living room to read a simple bible story and pray together you were surprised at how much your your preschool kids came to look forward to the evening family time i'm, I'm thinking often, not always, often, but okay, good enough. Um, Sometimes. Now, now things have changed. Your older kids don't want to snuggle on the couch anymore. You're running from swim meets to cross-country practice. The evening routine has gone out the window. What does family discipleship look like as kids move into the busy elementary and then teen years? And you talk about three big shifts. Um, so so uh, let's, let's talk about those shifts because I think... Um, uh, we, we learned some things about how kids grow physically and maybe even emotionally. Um, but all right. So what is, what is discipling our children look like? Uh, talk about those three shifts. 
Yeah, you might have to remind me about the language I used in the article, but I, I think I, you know, one of them for sure is this idea of a move from parent directed to self directed. Right. And so, um, and that's the language. And so, you know, I, I think in, in those family worship times, you know, you're picking out the Bible storybook, you're picking out the, the, you know, the music maybe you sing together as a family, uh, that devotional routine, you're kind of even teaching the kids what that bedtime routine is going to be when mm -hmm. they're young. And I, th I think by the time a kid is in sixth or seventh grade, um, oftentimes they're, they're going to the library at school and they're picking out their own books that they're reading. They're, um, you know, they're in, in some ways telling you what extracurricular activities they're, they're interested in and which ones they're not. And so mm -hmm. I think it's helpful for us to, to teach them and empower them in some ways with ways of their own discipleship being self-directed. They're doing homework, um, on, on their own. And so I, I think in those younger elementary years, middle elementary years, I, it's really important for us to teach kids how to um, how to study the Bible for themselves yeah. and give them, you know, skills, even even it's something as simple as the old observation, interpretation, application kind of kind of skills to think through a text and say, you know, as we read that together, um, why don't you take us through? what you saw, what do you think that means? And then how would you apply that to your life and begin working through that so that they learn how to read their Bible on their own um, and yeah. can do that on their right. own time. And so, you know, just as in school, you have little training wheels where you go from here, from this stage to this stage. I think sometimes mm -hmm. um, parents who set aside a time where, hey, we're as a family going to all do our quiet time, you know, during, during this time, during the day, we're going to spend time in the word. And when you're doing this, here's a, here's a notebook. And we're going to, I want you to kind of write out these things in these categories In doing that you're teaching skills to kids that they can learn um, and take with them um, into adulthood, but also into high school when you're going to have a lot less, uh, you know, that is going to be something that comes on their own initiative at that point. So that's one big um, shift. I think another big shift um, is the shift from, um, I, you know, parent influence to peer influence. There you um, go. The right. fact that, that again, um, so yeah, my kids don't say crayons like I did in South Georgia growing up. They say crayons, hmm. which is wait, some wait, wait, weird wait. Louisville, say, Kentucky say dialect. Say it again. How they, how your kids say it. Crayons, oh, um, oh, which is a which is a weird Kentucky dialect. Um, but what I learned, I, I looked this up. I was like, why do my children call these these uh, their their color crayons, uh, their Crayolas, by this name? Um, and what <laughs> I learned was, I mean, this is the old linguist part of me. But um, what I learned was that oftentimes our dialect that we speak with is picked up more from our peers than it is from our parents. Um, it's something that's picked up in the way that, um, and, and we're wired this way, to those we spend time with in peer relationships will often pick up uh, e even little 
you know, and I think we all know this in terms of the jargon we use at school that our parents didn't use, you know, whether whatever generation you you grew up with. But even pronunciation oftentimes comes mm-hmm. from um, from your peer group more than your parent group. And uh, that's why second generation immigrants oftentimes have an easier time learning the language of their new culture than their first generation immigrant parents ah. did. Um, it's because the way we learn language comes in that kind of relationship. And so, I, you know, I think recognizing that those peer relationships in the way we talk, which is related to the way we think, which yeah. is, you know, we're related to our worldview, um, oftentimes is formed in those peer relationships. Hmm. And so um, as parents, I mean, it's good to, um, it's good to talk to your kids about who their friends are and mm-hmm. how you choose a godly friend um, and, and the character qualities you're looking for in, in the kind of person that you're going to be spending that kind of time with. Um, and so I think that it's important to understand, like, yes, parents have a lot of influence on their kids. Um, I, oftentimes in that childhood stage of, of zero to 18, they're, you were going to be the most influential people. But as you move toward adulthood, um, those peer relationships begin to matter more and more and more. And so, you know, pressing into seeing those relationships as, as vitally important and helping in conversation, helping your kids navigate what those relationships look like. Are you ready to grow in your faith? Well, here's a resource that could help you on your spiritual journey. We call it Journey. Uh, It is a nine-month small group program designed to help you become a better grounded disciple of Jesus Christ who faithfully follows and actively serves God. Each week, you'll grow through Bible readings and short assignments with uh, world-class teachers. We've put together uh, these resources for you. They're very accessible. And through the journey adventure, you can discover the same joy and power that the early disciples experienced as they followed Jesus. So if you're ready to get started, um, may it be that God would be with you as you explore that. Here's a link. You'll want to go to our website, cslewisinstitute.org slash journey hyphen sign up. I sure hope you got that. Let me repeat it cslewisinstitute.org slash journey hyphen sign up. So you said the first shift was moving from parent-directed teaching to self-directed study. The second one is moving from adult influence to peer influence. And then the third is the move from building foundations to shaping hearts. I think that's the one that is perhaps the biggest challenge for us. So what, what help us help us think about that? How do we shape hearts, which is much more of a holistic thing than just cognitive info? Yeah, I, the Bible often talks about affections in this way, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think of Psalm seventy-eight, which is sort of a classic um, children's and family ministry passage, um, where Asaph says he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed the law in Israel that he commanded the, the, their ancestors or the, the parents to teach to their children so that the next generation might know these things. Yeah. And you know, that word know 
in the Hebrew Old Testament is not is not just a, a mental ascent kind of knowledge. It's a it's a affections kind of knowledge and intimate knowledge. So they the commands and the testimonies might be known by the next generation so that they would internalize them and then they would share these things with the generation that comes after them. Aesop says even the children yet to be born, that they would know these things too. And the vision is that generation would pass to generation, would pass to generation. And that only happens if there's a an affectionate um, embrace of that. You know, um, it was a, it was this passage um, and others like it that um, when Dorothy Sayers developed her trivium of learning that she was thinking about, and you know her her education model was you start in the grammar stage with really basic things where you learn, I don't know, you memorize the books of the Bible or, or basic verses or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. catechism questions and answers at a really young age. And then you move to the logic stage where you're beginning to put those things together and understanding how they relate to each other. Um, and then finally to the rhetoric stage where you're able to tell others about that. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are fascinating when they moved into the logic stage. Um, for the first time and they move into that second stage because they Which begin about, to see. Well, about how old is that for tip in most children, the shift to the logic stage? I, I would say second, third. I mean, you're really starting to see it as you enter middle school, but uh, second, third grade, upper yeah. elementary, and then into middle school. Where they're, they're beginning to, and you know, you see this in history class, you learn chronology um of of like uh of history then you're beginning to put the timelines together you know around eighth ninth grade you're you're doing not just math problems where you memorize you know addition subtraction division multiplication but you actually start doing algebra where you're looking for the kind of uh logical relationships at that time Hmm. um well kids start putting logical relationships together everywhere and so they know that mom and dad say certain things, but don't do those things. Oh, no. they know. <laughs> oh, they know this, that this podcast just took an ugly turn. But all right, go for it. Keep going. <laughs> you know they they know that my teacher says. You know, my health teacher says this about like uh, you know soft drinks not being good for you but then she brings a diet coke to class every day you know Mm. so like and and their brains begin to to see those inconsistencies in life and it's just part of normal development to move in i've I've learned how to put logical relationships together and now i'm seeing the logical inconsistencies in my parents in in other people that are important in my life and there can be a tendency um, to become a Pharisee at that at that stage, um, mm. I think we all raise Pharisees to some degree at mm. that at that age, where kids become you know very. Ju- there's a tendency to judge, be judgmental of others. Um, oh yeah. Talk to my daughters about this. The private school kids are judging the public school kids, and the public school kids are judging the the private mm. school kids. You know, and you're 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 looking down on on everyone else. Mm. But the goal is, and and um when we're confronted with God's word and his ways and his law um, is to turn that, that glance of looking for interest uh, 
inconsistencies in a little bit more of an introspective direction and to look at our own heart and to see the inconsistencies in ourselves um, and understand, yes, it's not just mom and dad who are inconsistent, but I, I am too. And, and to begin so that a child is able to own those, that brokenness and that sin and confess that sin um, and move toward the Lord. You know, some things do only come out by prayer. And so I, I don't I don't know that there's like silver <laughs> silver bullets um with that. But I think even recognizing the fact that this is this is something that happens as kids grow and then beginning beginning to have those conversations with them. Um it's a way of of you know, when you begin to see that judgment of others. Um, even just to say, like I you know one, we want to have compassion for other people because it's not just the, them that are inconsistent and them that are broken, but it's us too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. I think another just really key way to communicate that to your kids is to admit that you're wrong. And yeah. um, when your kids see those inconsistencies in you and, and they're, they're right to say, you're right, you know, I'm wrong. I was inconsistent about that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I did tell you this. And do then do something different, or tell you that I I wouldn't do that and did it anyway, um, and to ask for forgiveness from our kids, and yeah. um, often repenting before our kids and being willing to to ask them for forgiveness is one of the ways we teach them, um, model for them the need to ask ask for forgiveness and to repent themselves. Boy, you're you're touching on so many really really helpful things. I'm so grateful. You know, I I I was raised in a non-Christian home, so I I didn't see that kind of gospel humility from my parents. I mean, I they they did a lot of things right, but they but they did not have a gospel perspective, not at all. And so, um, you know, their admitting failure or hypocrisy or apologizing, none of that. Um, and then, then we raised three boys, and hopefully we implemented some of that. I know that it was nowhere near what it could be. You know, it's interesting. Uh, my wife and I are now in this new chapter as grandparents, and we've moved to be close to our grandchildren. And so that's a whole new thing. And uh, the the idea that I that my wife and I can help be part of that child rearing, not just mm-hmm. oh grandma and grandpa are for entertainment and babysitting, and sure there's plenty of fun stuff that we do, but but we're also part of that of um, mm-hmm. reinforcing what mom and dad say uh, about the Lord, about our faith, um, and and what does that faith look like in in older people? <laughs> Um, not just, you know, brothers and sisters and parents. So it's, it, it's a wonderful thing of, of discipleship developing and changing as the children grow, but it's also as we grow, as we, as we grow both in mm-hmm. our faith, but also in our age. Um, so uh, you're touching on some really, really good things. Let's shift for the, the last part of this conversation about your book, which is, I think it's more well, it's it's entitled "Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission." So I think the primary audience for this book, obviously, are are, are people in ministry, pastoral staff who focus on children's ministry. But but parents can benefit from this too. Tell tell us about the 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 aim of that book. 
Yeah, I think my primary audience is is children's ministry leaders or, or you know right. pastors who are leading the children's ministry, but also the children's Sunday school teacher. Mm. Um, you'll find a lot um, in that book on sort of the goals and aims of a, a children's Sunday school department and a local church, and and then how to think about you know putting a lesson together and to teach the Bible to kids. And so the the heart of the book is is about, you know, what does it look like to, to study the Bible, um, to interpret a Bible story and to, uh, put a, a lesson together if you're teaching a, a children's Sunday school class. And so I know a lot of us have, uh, curriculums we're using, but, um, the goal of the book was to give, you know, just some good questions, um, a little bit of the educational theory that stands behind a lot of the Sunday school curriculum that comes. Good. Good. That's so um, neat that you're picking up so that um yeah so that sunday school teachers kind of understand why are we doing it this way you know yeah. so i i think that was the goal of a lot of a lot of that book and then and then also to place the mission of children's ministry within the mission of the larger um church community as a whole um which sometimes I, you know sometimes children's ministry is just seen as that is the child care while we while we worship. And so um, to understand that, that God has given a responsibility to the church to disciple the next mm-hmm. generation oh, um, and to see this as an important part of that, that holistic mission of discipleship that the Lord is, Lord is given to the church as a whole. Hmm. Oh, that's such helpful resources. I, I don't know too many books like that, but maybe I'm, I'm not in that realm, but I, I think your book is, is, this may be unfair, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think a lot of the materials for children's ministry is very much how to, here's how to do it. Here's, here are problems to avoid. Um, Here are things you want to emphasize, but, but you're trying to step back a little bit and much more with a, with a theological, biblical and educational perspective. Am I right? Is that what you were, what you're, what you're doing? And Am I right about comparing it to other things, or am I unfair there? That that's true. I I mean, I'm I'm really thankful to live in an era where um, there is more intentionality in children's ministry than I Very than nice. I think there have been at, at different times, and yeah. um, and it you know, in that perhaps there is in different uh, differing church traditions too. Um, my friend, Jenny Smith, who works for Awana, um, international gives me a hard time because, um, of how much church history is in the book. Um, but I tell her I have dead friends and that I have to, I have to interact with dead friends about, uh, <laughs> about children's ministry. So, you know, it, it is, um, a little bit different in that you were definitely going to learn from Martin Luther and, um, and C.S. Lewis, which I know you care about a lot. And, um, and, uh, um, yeah. And, uh, Erasmus and, and other, others, um, sorry, Eusebius is actually one of the stories is from Eusebius. I said Erasmus, but I'm thinking of Eusebius. And so, um, so yeah, there is a, it, a bit, a bit of church history in the book. Well, I, but I, I think, I, I think people may be hungry for that more than we we would assume. Not not more than you would assume, but more than most people would assume. Uh, I think parents um, 
that I, I think a whole lot of them who are homeschooling or or just augmenting the schooling that they're getting wherever, uh, they the larger the canvas that they have as the backdrop, the better. So I'm I'm really thankful for that. I think that's great. Um, well, this is very good. You've um, I want to bring this to a close, but I want to thank you that you you made sure that you mentioned C.S. Lewis because that's obligatory. It's mandatory. We have to make sure to include <laughs> that, and and we have to remember. Uh, it's just so amazing how many letters to children C.S. Lewis wrote and how he would answer mm -hmm. children's letters. And that's, mm -hmm. that's important. And it, and even if we have to, uh, translate or adapt what we're writing to children, that that's not, that's not dumbing down. That's, that's being mm -hmm. appropriate. And uh, I, I love the fact, you know, Lewis said that if you, if you can't explain it simply to a child, you probably don't understand it very well. And mm -hmm. uh, so you've pr helped us with that translating, uh, discipling the next generations, plural. So I'm really very thankful for your ministry. Any last comments you want to make before we bring this to a close? I'm really grateful for the things you've produced. Well, I, I think about Lewis um, when I think about Matthew 18 and um, and Matthew chapter 18 um, at, at the beginning. The disciples are having that argument among themselves about who is going to be greatest uh, in the kingdom uh, of heaven. Uh, and it's at, at that moment that Jesus puts a child hmm. in their midst and says, unless you become like a child um, and welcome this child in my name, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and in mere Christianity, Lewis um, talks about what humility looks like. And mm. um, I, I won't get the quote exactly right, but he, he said that, you know, if you meet a humble chap, he won't be uh, this smarmy guy who's always self-deprecating and talking about how uh, little he cares for himself. It's like, in fact, what you'll notice about him is that he, um, he isn't thinking about himself at all. He's joyfully thinking about you and asking yeah, you really yeah. good questions. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And, and the, the way that Jesus confronted his disciples pride in that moment mm -hmm. um, and encouraged them to take the humble position of a child um, <laughs> was not to tell them, Oh, you're, you're worthless, but, but to actually tell them welcome children. Um, yeah. Get your attention off of yourself and open yeah. your arms and Good. and welcome children to you because it's then when you get the attention off of yourself and put it on others um, that real humility and joy begins and yes. um, I've always thought that's beautiful and Lewis he modeled it in his writing and in his letters and um, with kids and um, may we may we be like him. Oh, well said, well said, and and bringing this to, to a great conclusion. Thanks so much. Uh, my conversation partner has been Jared Kennedy. I'll list a bunch of uh, resources in our show notes. Uh, we also have a couple of, we have quite a few things uh, on our uh, cslewisinstitute.org website of the Keeping the Faith. It's a whole branch of our ministry. Uh, click on that link. You'll see all sorts of great resources, audio, video, uh, 
So, and as always, we're grateful for your listening to our podcast. We're, we're grateful for your partnership and ministry. And may it be that God would use the resources that he's helped us put together to help you uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Thanks for listening.